0: Okay all this celebration and all this enjoyment of Christ at this time is is a is a wonderful thing if you can get past Black Friday and cyber monday and and all the the pressure of trying to get uh the trees wrapped and the house cleaned and things done and everybody in line. I read this week that uh women during Christmas season have more stress than men. And I thought, uh, that's probably true, you've got more to juggle than But as we get into uh, the Christmas season, there's one thing as we want to focus on this month, as we can get into a routine and habitual kind of take-for-granted idea that Christmas is another season we go through and we get the gift cards and Amazon cards and so on and so forth. And we really forget the real purpose of this season. And And I've been trying to focus on uh, the Messiah as we understand what the New Testament people understood what this season was all about. And I would say again, as I have said often, that as Americans, we have to go back 2,000 years into their context to get what they were, experiencing. Because what motivated the people in the New Testament sometimes doesn't motivate us uh, in our day and age. And so we have to make this uh, travel journey back to understand. Well, today I want to talk about, again, the Messiah. But in, in particular, I want to talk about uh, the two purposes that this Messiah would come uh, to accomplish. Because he's called the Prince of Peace. We use that word a lot, and we certainly need it a lot today. But those purposes that he had in mind and what we expect him to do, uh, what we want him to do, uh, may not coincide. And so, our goal this morning is to align our spirits with his spirit so that we have the same mindset of Christ, the Messiah. And those, those purposes are he wants you. To open up the gift of peace, he has—he uh, came to make peace and to make peacemakers. And the purpose of this Messiah, as we get into it, uh, I want to focus a little bit going back into scriptures. But to put it into context, if you go back two thousand years ago, uh, Palestine, Israel, was an occupied territory. Uh, the Roman government was there. There was always a lot of tension with, with a Herod uh, appointed as king to rule over that. They were in, uh, in affiliation with the Roman rule, but uh, not necessarily with the spirit of Christmas. But the, in the in the New Testament, when the word peace is used, in the word Greek, erine, uh the word in Latin is Pax, Pax Romana. The the Roman uh, government had a uh, a stipulation that we would have a peace, but it would be a peace imposed by the government. And uh, as you think about this, I don't know if you know that this word peace is actually the name of a goddess. And the goddess uh, of Pax was a daughter of Jupiter and some of the Greek gods, as you understand, uh, as you understand that the uh, concept of Peace uh, wasn't necessarily about a fellowship or a harmony among people. They understood it as a state or a condition that the government was under, in control, and people had a, a an absence of war. It was a political peace, as they would understand it. And so the conditions were set in, su- in such a way that at least there would be... Uh, no conflict going on in the world. So that was their it was a political peace and that's what they understood in the New Testament. But to define it more specifically for the from the Jewish perspective, that the that the peace that the Messiah would come would be not only in the person of the Messiah himself, but it would also be as he would usher in a new government, a new reign, a new era New era, sorry, a new era where his rule would establish justice and righteousness, a political peace for sure, but much more than that, much more than that. But it was definitely not originally intended to be a personal, psychological, or emotional peace. It would focus not on what you experience, it would be focused on the king who is coming, and the focus was external, that we're looking for the Messiah. And the Messiah, when he's here, would change everything in the cosmos. It wouldn't just be a political king appointed, it would be a universal, cosmological rule that this one would introduce a whole new era. And so as he... As you go back into Isaiah, the passage in Isaiah that Joetta read would deal with this idea of political peace because Israel would have a king who would rule on their behalf. And as this king would rule, the first thing Isaiah says in Isaiah 40 is comfort, comfort my people says your God, speak ye tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her, and get this, that her warfare is over. The hard oppression is gone, is removed. That her sin has been paid for and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. And yet, all the way through the Old Testament, when you see Israel battling back and forth, you would have these prophets that would come and say, uh, this country is going to be defeated, this country is going to be defeated. And yet they were trying to appease people. And Jeremiah said, no, no, you don't understand. God is doing a certain thing. But your prophet by Jeremiah says, they dress the wounds of my people superficially as though it were not serious. And they're trying to put a positive spin, saying peace, peace, promising peace. But there wouldn't be no peace. There'd be no change. And therefore, it was just political rhetoric, spin, trying to get people into tribal uh, conflict, and one people would rule over another people. Not so with the Messiah. When the Messiah would come, the war would be over. And this reign it was a glorious reign, and therefore Isaiah would say, that which you used for war would be now transformed and repurposed into purposes of peace. So take those swords and beat them into plowshares. Now you're not working against but uh, the enemy but you're building a community. And this primary focus of peace would be an era of salvation. And so you have to understand this event of the Christ child as a cosmological event that God interferes the fallen world to uh, regenerate and recreate a whole new kingdom and therefore, salvation, you have to understand salvation as an historical event through Jesus Christ. And therefore, when Jesus would come as the Messiah, he would usher in this messianic reign. And the messianic reign would be such, of such grandeur that Isaiah would go on to say that, as you've heard this, the lion and the lamb would, would lie down together. Actually, in some translations, if you read the context well, it says the wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. There will be a peace, a safety, a security that the, that the fallen order would be restored, that as far as the curse is found, the curse would be removed. And therefore you have this infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. Neither will there be harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. This is the messianic reign. The messianic reign that Isaiah talked about, that all the nations would come to this mountain. In Isaiah 2, he picks this up. In Isaiah 2, he says... Uh, the nation will not take up sword against the nation. But he says, many peoples will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. The law will go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations, and he will settle disputes, political disputes for many peoples. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not take up sword against nation. Nor will they train for war anymore. This is the Messianic reign. This is the Messianic reign that, that is understood in the very capital, what we call Jerusalem. If you understand this place, this city is an historical place. Do you know what famous event took place at this in this city before it was a city? Jerusalem. Jeru, shalom. There's the word peace. Jeru, what does that mean? Well, in Hebrew, if you go back a little farther, you get the the Hebrew reading of it is Yera, Jeru, Jeru. This is the place where Abraham first came with his son Isaac. This is the place where Isaac would be sacrificed in Jerusalem. And therefore, this sacrifice from of old, the prophets had embedded into their understanding the coming one that would be another sacrifice. And therefore, this city of peace, pray for this city of peace. It's shalom, as salvation, it's this peace in the land that would do three things: this Messiah would not just bring about political peace but he would remove war and the source of cause of war, he would replace guilt, and he would restore reconcile relationships this messiah this this one who's called the Prince of Peace, would take care of not just the external consequences of war, but he would take care of the internal cause of war. And that internal cause, it says in Ephesians 2, by abolishing in his flesh, in his body, the enmity. This enmity, this argumentativeness, this uh, attack, this contempt, this predisposition to put you under my power or to fight so that I gain the upper hand, God says in this passage He's going to abolish this desire to overpower and oppress in the enmity, which is in the law and the commandments. The idea that you can't do something, that that there is going to be a fight, a law, a resistance to the Lord and to his commands, the idea that there's going to be tension, every step of the way, what God wants. That's an internal source of conflict. And Jesus came to remove the guilt because we have fought the wrong fight. Why do people fight God? Why, why do people resist the Lord's goodness—it doesn't make sense. It's irrational because evil is the irrational undoing of peace. Evil is the destruction of righteousness, and therefore, wherever evil is, it's an unness to it. There's an unrighteous, an ungodliness, an unholiness, an immoral. It's the opposite that continues to promote war on the inside. And Jesus comes and replaces that by saying two words. I forget. And the removal of guilt and the removal of shame is the work of the Messiah. Not only would he take care of those commandments which were against us, but he would bring people, Gentile, Jew, free man, slave, man, woman, He would bring people in Himself, in Christ. He would make the two into one new man, thus establishing a new kind of humanity, a new kind of community, a heavenly community. So we have heaven coming to earth in this Messiah. And He would reconcile both in one body to God through the cross by having put it to death putting to death the enmity. You see, what the Messiah wants to do is to make war, to destroy war, to end war, and your war is over. Therefore, comfort, comfort ye my people. So when you understand Christmas and you don't understand this wonderful gift that God has arranged in the cosmos to remove the conflict, then you've got an idea that the message of God to his people To the people of Israel and to the nations, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Goodwill to men, as Luke would say, or Linus would say. Both would say that. But the idea was not peace to all men universally is going to just pour on peace on the whole world. It doesn't mean goodwill to men. It means goodwill to those who want to do the will of God. Goodwill to those who belong to the Lord. Goodwill to those who quit their fighting and repent from their sins and turn to the Lord and say, Make me a vessel of peace. And therefore, He did come to make peace. Make no mistake. But He also came to make you a peacemaker. And therefore, those who are the sons of God, those who are going to be called and understand what this peace means on a personal, political, and interpersonal in level. It means a couple of things. To understand peace, to understand this word shalom, you will understand this. I know, Dave, you'll understand. Those who've been in Hawaii will understand this. You know what this means in Hawaii? What do they do when they do this? When they stick up the pinky and the thumb, what's the word for that? Aloha, and it, this is the greeting. This in 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 I didn't know this, but when you meet somebody, say aloha, and when you a, a greeting, and aloha uh, is again welcome a, a greeting uh, that you would give in Hawaii. Well, shalom is the same word. It's a greeting when you meet people you say shalom. When you say goodbye to people, you say shalom. So shalom is a linguistic cue, as it were, to say, to greet you with peace. But this greeting, we've translated, it's an interesting word, it, we've translated this into English in a word that doesn't, doesn't sound like peace or ring like peace, but it has the same meaning of peace. And the word in Hebrew actually is pronounced hello. "halo," Hello is the greeting. And when somebody comes to your house, we carry this meaning when we meet them at the door, when we say the English word, welcome. Welcome is like the blessing of shalom, meaning, if you think about this word, when you come, I am made well. When you are invited into my house, I know that your presence, your coming, your relationship is a blessing to me. Aloha, shalom, welcome. And this is the full meaning of the word shalom. It's like, there is going to be a blessing given to you because of my presence, because of my gift. It's not just the gift, it's the idea that I'm coming in to engage in your world to make you well. The idea of blessing and wholeness and peace and and, and assurance and all those things are wrapped up in this one little word, shalom. It is such a deep word that we just kind of take it for granted. And so the Lord would say, are you well? Are you sick? I'm here to make you well. Whatever you need to be whole, whatever you need to be free, whatever you need to be have the end of warfare, shalom. I'm here to give you this gift. And... And as you understand, he would not only do that for Israel, but he would do it for Israel as a covenant that says, when I am with you, you will be assured I am not going to do any conflict, harm, or terror in your house. And therefore, when you welcome someone and give him your hand of, of, of peace, the covenant of peace means... I am here to seek your interests. I am here to seek your health. I am, as God would say, for you to bless you, to make you a blessing, and therefore the word peace. Uh, when He would come and preach peace to not only to the house of Israel but to those who are outside of the house of Israel. It says that he came and he preached peace to you who were far away. Those who don't know the Lord get peace. Those who are far away and who have no belief, no faith, no hope, no love, they get peace. Because the peace is not dependent upon your performance or your qualifications. It's not not based on the fact that you You really have earned it. For we know that salvation is not something to be worked for, but someone to be received. And therefore, when this king comes, he brings the kingdom of peace and grace to you. That's why when Paul... The Apostle Paul, every time he would talk to the Gentiles, every time he would talk in the New Testament, he would always link these two words together. Peace and grace be to you. For in this Messiah, you have not only the ending of war, but you have the beginning of goodness. That God responds to you in forgiveness, in mercy, in blessing, and 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 wanting to seek your best interests. This is the whole idea of what it means that when you have peace and harmony and wholeness and completeness, it's a prosperity that says, I want you to have a taste of the kingdom. And therefore, the mark of those who are in the kingdom are called peacemakers. Those peacemakers... Are those men and women on earth who have made peace with God, and therefore, as Paul would say, we have peace, and we slide by that cross, we have peace, and we stand in peace. As you move into your Christmas season, I would like to invite you to think about one thing Are you a peacemaker? You understand the peace of God, and if there's something that you need to know and to experience the peace of God more fully, understand this Messiah came to give it to you. That you have not only the opportunity to be made right in your heart so that there's no more conflict, guilt, war, tension, enmity inside, And therefore, you can walk in a fallen world and you can give grace to those who offend you, hurt you, damage you. But you can forgive them. This is what the Messiah will do. You become an ambassador of peace. You give a gift of grace. And therefore, as you reflect on this this Christmas season... Understand that the power you need to forgive in order to think about other people is not a natural, it's a supernatural gift where you will lay down your sword and beat it into a plowshare. The Lord came and he said, peace on earth and goodwill to those who will do God's will. That's our calling. He came to make peace and to make you a peacemaker. I hope this season, as you go into this crazy COVID Christmas, that the Lord speaks to you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart as the Messiah wants to rule and give you peace.